What's hot in the strip clubs? Your hosts, the 2016 and 2017 recipients of the Exotic Dancer Publications DJ of the Year Award, Danny Myers and Alon Fong. Welcome to Behind the Curtain, a What's Hot in the Strip Clubs podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. We are found on all streaming platforms, or you can go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. I'm your host, Elon Fong, and Behind the Curtain is a peak uh, behind the curtain of the strip club industry, as I introduced to you some of the many talented and unique individuals that work in the strip club industry with skills and talents way beyond just being strip club employees. So we're going to get into some of those unique personalities like my guest today. My guest today is Charlie Lee, also known as Charlie Foreplay, his club DJ name. Born originally in Taiwan, he moved to New York City and lived in Queens and in the Bronx starting around age five. Didn't speak a lick of English back then. Isn't that crazy? Uh, graduated from the prestigious Duke University with a degree in economics and is currently the resident DJ since 2011 of the Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Charlie Lee. Charlie, welcome. What's up, man? man? What's up, brother? Good to see you. Likewise. Pleasure having you on. Now, uh, this is really special for me in a number of reasons. So for those of you who know me and don't, or maybe don't know my last name, I'm, my last name is Fong. I am half Chinese. And uh, Charlie is one of the few Asian djs i've met in the strip club industry there's about i don't know there's probably five to ten of us that i know of. so you got uh cuts up in las vegas you uh larue weisner but he, he's both those guys are out of the industry now um i think dustin wen up in denver i can't think of anybody else off the top of my head there's a few more but there's not very many of us <laughs> right. uh and so you know i, I find it fascinating. you're a first generation american so am i but i was born here um i grew up in pittsburgh you grew up in new york city which is like the mecca of everything American in many ways, right? People really identify with sure. New York City as America, I feel like, outside this country, right? You have the Statue sure. of Liberty. A lot of uh, the immigrant journeys began there, certainly in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, right? So yeah. how did, how did uh, now you got there around age five, not speaking any English. How did that, do you think that really formulated your uh, your persona? I mean, most people I meet from New York have a strong tie to the city. And there's so many musical connections. We'll get into all that, but uh, let's start there. I, you know what? Um, moved here when I was right around five, five years old and stuff, you know? And, uh, you know, when you're that young, you don't really know what's going on, right? Um, I just remember, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a real stressful time for my folks at the same time. You know, they their English are very broken as well. And, you know, we didn't speak a lick of it. So, um, you know, just, just getting adjusted those first couple of years was, was a little challenging for my mom and dad. But as a kid, I didn't really notice any difference, you know. Um, couldn't really talk to the, you know, obviously play and talk with the kids like, you know, everybody else did. But we made it, you know. <laughs> Did you, did you find that like isolating for you or like as a kid or is that, you know, did you tend to just keep yourself then out of that or? Yeah. I mean, like I said, when you're that young, you don't really know any different, right? Uh, mm -hmm. If people were looking at me funny, I, I didn't realize it, right? I mean, I'm one or two years old and uh, yeah, I, I always laugh because, you know, people ask me how I learned English and I'm like hours and hours of Sesame Street. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? And, uh, and I picked it up pretty quickly. 
you know? Yeah. But, uh, as far as it pertains to DJing, it's kind of funny, you know, because I have a lot of friends that are like, you know, do you remember this song? It came out in like the early 80s. And I was like, well, it was before I spoke English. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know? Yeah, I think, for sure. Uh, I, I remember the first uh, album I ever bought was probably Appetite for Destruction. And that was probably mm -hmm. the first album I listened to where I understand all the lyrics, you know? Right. And I understood what they were saying and what they were singing about, you know. But prior to that, I remember buying, uh, having like a Def Leppard uh, cassette tape, you know. Wow. No idea what they were singing about, you know, no idea what they were saying, but just thought the music was really cool and stuff I, like that. I was going to ask you, when did music sort of enter your life and what band or artist made you say, wow, that's it. That's like that caught your attention. Man, music entered my life very, very early, um, you know. Uh, when I was probably in second grade, I want to say, and I always remember this pretty vividly. Uh, my dad had bought me uh, a little cassette player, mm -hmm. and it was a dual cassette player, which was pretty badass, right? Yeah. So at that time, you know, um, I was listening to the Top 100 Countdown with Casey Kasem, you know, uh, again, understanding little bits of what they were saying, but not all of it, you know, but um, one of my favorite pastimes was just to sit there and just record songs that I liked off of uh you know uh, the radio and stuff mm -hmm. you know so uh that definitely made a pressure on me and um obviously hair bands was you know at its peak at that point right sure uh, early mid 80s or whatnot and really hitting its stride and you know uh, i was fascinated by that like you know oh my god you know he's got, he's got <laughs> all the girls and like you know yeah right crazy cool what they're doing you know like that that must be a cool thing so you know you know, I think, you know, younger people, they don't understand the impact of MTV and that gen and that on our generation, right? So like you said, with the girls and, uh, you know, rock bands at the time were pretty and they sang about partying and sex and cool cars and like their videos were full of hot chicks and all that. And I know me as a half Chinese person trying to fit in, I thought that was the American dream. You know, I wanted, wanted to hang out with the hot blonde and... Hundred percent. Me too. And look at the hot end. Look at the industry I ended up in. I ended up in the strip club industry <laughs> right, for thirty right, years, right? Right. Hundred uh, percent, man. I, I totally agree, man. Just seeing all that, the lifestyle, and you know, it's just a little fantasy world. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, growing up, uh, having Asian parents. I mean, you know, the discipline was pretty. It was pretty strict, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, but that was my escape was music, right? Right. Uh, just that that was my free time activity. I, I just wanted to listen to music and and you know uh see what was out there and whatnot you know and um having that cassette player man it was a game changer bro <laughs> yeah no I, I understand that did yeah. you find that did your parents really get your passion for music it's funny because my dad and I uh he was an engineer and Chinese and it was all you know school 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 and provide and stability and all that stuff right and uh it wasn't until much later in life actually uh that he kind of finally understood it was a little bit before he passed he said to me my biggest regret was if I'd understood how important music was to you, I would have made sure you got, you know, every vocal lesson, every piano lesson. He's like, I, I just didn't understand. And luckily I did get that closure with him before he passed. But was there a lot of butting heads with your parents on your music journey or or did they understand it at all? Or You know what? Um, you know, they're obviously well, well aware that I was into music. You know, I, I'd be blasting it from my room, you know, <laughs> even from a very early age. And um, yeah, I think they got it, you know? Like I, I remember when I was... Uh, junior high or whatnot uh for my birthday my dad actually got me a guitar cool and uh, that was cool as hell right that was yeah. like the best gift ever you know what i mean um they understood i love music man uh yeah it was my escape like i said it was, it was definitely my escape it was definitely my hobby and full-time hobby you know i played drums i played guitars oh, wow. as early as i could you know uh, i was always into the music scene man was always into it and um 
yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, they tolerated it as long as the, uh, as long great. as the grades were there. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. For sure. that was pretty much the trade-off. What band or artist, what, what, like, what band did you obsess about in those early years? I'm just curious. I know you oh, guns and roses, but. Man, like I said, I think the very first cassette tape I ever bought my own money was Def Leppard. Okay. And, uh. With the Pyromania or, hist- or, uh, uh, Hysteria. Hysteria. Okay. Hysteria. Without a doubt, I always remember that 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 whole album front of mind. Yeah, I agree, man. Great record. Um, you know, I was into even like like fringe bands. I I love White Lion. Don't fucking laugh. It was I like, love White Lion, dude. Vito yeah. Brado on guitar, forget about it. Vito Brado, yeah, it was like you know he's like the second coming of Van Halen. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, just all types of weird shit, man. All types of weird shit, dude. I, I was into it all, man. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, the hair bands were were amazing to me. So quick remember, plug. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I remember when we were younger too, right? You know, you would hear uh, at my age. I remember they were t- talking about like, you know, this is a time when Ozzy was super controversial. Yeah, you know, he was biting bats' heads off and stuff like that. <laughs> and all my friends at school were like, if you listen to his music, you're going to become a devil worshiper. <laughs> and I remember like thinking all this stuff, and I remember like going out and buy- buying uh, Motley Crue's "Doctor Feel Good." Yeah, and pressing play on it and going, I don't feel any different, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it was a kick-ass album, you know. What yes, I mean? it was. That's, so, that's a great record too, by the way. Uh, quick sure. plug. So we just created Danny and I, and we had a bunch of people vote. Created the Strip Club Music Hall of Fame. I don't know if you saw our initial yeah, the voting awesome. done. Yeah, yeah. So do you did you hear who the five first ballots were? I did not actually. Uh, I, don't, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal it yet. So go listen, people. It's on uh, <laughs> what's hot itsc.com uh the strip club music hall of fame you can also check that out at www.stripclubhof.com you'll see who our inaugural classes of 2023 many of the bands mr charlie lee loved and listened to that he just mentioned are on the list okay uh when did djing become uh come in your circle and in your sphere and become relevant like when did that start becoming a I, i definitely remember that very vividly i remember uh i had a buddy we didn't go to the same high school, obviously, but we, we were uh, good friends. And uh, I remember going to his house one time to borrow an amp that I needed for something. And I remember walking in his room and he had these turntables out and this little mixer set up. And I was like, well, what's that? And I was like, oh, these are turntables, man. I'm, I'm learning how to DJ. And I was like, oh, okay, like, well, show me what's, what's going on here. And I remember it's like an old school Gemini mixer with the orange right. padding and like, you know, and he's just pretty much mixing the same song, the same record on both sides and just, you know, practicing that way, you know, and it was just showing me how to beat match and, and things like that. And uh, I, I was instantly hooked, instantly hooked. And uh, this kid uh, had a, came from a pretty wealthy family, you know, mm-hmm. have all those fun toys and whatnot, but he had all the equipment, right? He had all the sound right. equipment and stuff like that. So um, I started tagging along with them because he actually got gigs. I mean, you know, huh. He was like what 14, 15, and you know, I was playing house parties and doing little cool little things like that. And his dad was really supportive of it. So I would just tag along to, to all of his gigs, you know. And uh, long story short, I just met, met a bunch of de- young DJs at the time mm-hmm. growing up in Queens. And uh was really lucky too. Uh my neighbors across the street from me in Queens uh were these two older guys, and they were just cool as fuck, man. Like they were like my older brothers growing up. And um it's a funny story behind that. I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I remember one time just uh, walking through the neighborhood and hearing somebody playing live drums across the street. 
And I was like, oh, that, those must be the new guys that just moved in. <laughs> and I heard drums and, you know, I didn't think anything of it. For some reason, I always, I just thought automatically, I don't know why, that it was a kid, right? Okay. So I ran in my house, grabbed my guitar and my amp, <laughs> and I walk on over and I knock the on the door. Yeah. I open the door and, you know, I think I'm like 13 or 14 at this point. And, you know, this older guy opens the door. He's like, you know, he's like in his 20s. And he's like, what do you want? And I was like, well, let's jam. And he's like. Okay, come on in. You know? That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Stranger so, danger, you know, stranger danger. Right, right off the jump, man. I was just, you know, it was really cool to be around those guys. And, um, you know, they were very musically inclined too. Pat and Mark Evangelista. Shout out to those guys if you guys are listening. Yeah. Um, no, they're good guys, man. Uh, it's funny because years later, they owned a bar down in uh, Midtown in Manhattan. And uh, during the summers when I come back from school, I would DJ for them. Oh, that's so, awesome. Yeah, just a long, long journey with these guys. I mean, the, uh, Pat was a drummer. Uh, his little brother, Mark, was a bouncer at a couple of nightclubs in, in Queens, you know. So I, I, right off the jump, I was really exposed to uh, people that were in the industry in one way or another. Not necessarily the strip club industry, but sure. uh, musically, you know, musically inclined people. So, yeah. Did you get to DJ in New York coming up, like in your teenage years and through high school at all? Or? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you know, like my buddy who uh, had all that equipment, um, I would tag along with him. And, and like I said, I met a bunch of young upcoming DJs in, in Queens at the time, you know, and uh, I was just fascinated by it, man. They were doing, uh, you know, like 18 and over clubs and, mm -hmm. and DJing all these parties and whatnot. And I was like, I want to do that, you know, and um, was able pretty much just to work with these guys and uh, told my dad, hey, I was like, you know, I like to DJ on the weekends and whatnot. <laughs> And I remember him telling me, he said, uh, well, you can DJ on the weekends. If you really love it, though, I have two stipulations. <laughs> Hit me with it. He says, uh, one, anything that you make from it, you can't keep. You got to get to give it to me since you are so uh, passionate about this. Let's test that, you know. OK. So I was like, all right. You know, like when you're when you're 15, 16, what do you care? Right. right. You know, like, you know, a couple bucks for like, you know, some snacks and shit like that i'm good so you know right. um yeah i started getting booked doing sweet 16 parties and high school parties and little things like that got a little exposure to it and um like i said man just basically hooked on it just wanted to play music i was like well you know the live musician thing that's cool too but uh this is a great second runner up kind of deal yeah. <laughs> this works out you know what i mean yeah uh, so yeah you know it, it, it was definitely uh something imprinted on me and, and plus i mean you know we're, we're talking about the 1990s here right in my in my eyes probably the greatest decade in music ever because everything was up and coming at the time you know right. every genre was right i remember uh when i started djing as a teenager you know i was big into hip-hop uh huge into dancehall reggae it's random but you know no that's really awesome huge in new york at the time you know and of course house music which is without a doubt my passion these days you know so just just a lot of exposure to a lot of different types of music at the time and you know that really shaped my my view well that's the beauty of new york city right it's got a scene for everything now did uh you know hip-hop obviously new york sort of dominated early 90s late 80s hip-hop uh before the, the west coast sort of sprang up and then the dirty south and then house music was sort of blown up in america around then in the early 90s did you uh were you using like open format with the parties just sort of like top 40 when, you know, kind of give me a little picture of what was, what you were spinning. You know, what's funny back then is that, uh, it, well, it was just what, what was popping in New York at the time. Exactly what you said, you know, hip hop was huge. Obviously I remember, um, 
I mean, there was a cruising strip that we would drive up and down. Uh, it, it was just a big hangout spot, Francis Lewis Boulevard. If you grew up in Queens, you know exactly where that was. You would just come, you know, you just roll down there with your buddies and, you know, just cruise up and down the strip trying to pick up chicks, right? Yeah. Chicks would be going back and forth and you'd be back and forth and you'd pull somebody over if you saw something you liked. And, you know, uh, the mainstay about, about the whole cruising strip, though, was the music that was playing out of all the cars. Right. Some some kids had sound systems in their cars, and you know, I just remember being in front of the Carvel ice cream the first time I ever heard Mob Deep shook ones, and I was just oh, like, yeah, just a badass. Like you know, my buddy had a badass subwoofer in his car, and it was just bumping. I was just like, oh wow, this is some dark shit right here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just just picking a lot of the music from there, you know. Like, like I said, dancehall was really huge back then. Hip hop was huge, and house so honestly uh you know back then i don't really think we thought about format that much it was more just like you know what's popping and what'll get the girls dancing you know amen <laughs> like that so i don't think kids even cruise anymore they probably don't even know what that is uh, <laughs> did, uh any any uh cool like early celebrity stories you cross paths with anybody or in in the scene or like hip-hop artists or djs or anything that ended up blowing up Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I got a story with that, dude. So there was this 18 and over club in Queens uh, at the time, and it was called The Underground. It's actually pretty famous, actually. Uh, Hot 97 used to broadcast out of there on the weekends. Yeah. Funkmaster Flex would DJ out of that place on the weekends. And this club was probably two, three miles from my house. It was okay. on Bell Boulevard, you know. And I remember one time my buddy Tom was uh, DJing one of the 18 and over nights. And that night, I mean, you understand, this is in like the middle of Queens, New York, right? It's in Bayside, Queens, to be specific, you know, uh, largely Caucasian neighborhood. Right? Okay. And um, I remember they were like, yeah, there's this group calling coming here tonight to perform live. They're called the Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, shit. And nobody knew who they were. I had no clue who they were. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, I remember they gave us like, black and white photos, like promo pics from them. And they were all signed from Wu-Tang Clan. I just remember getting one of them going, eh, whatever. Right? <laughs> and it was the coolest picture too, when I think back about it. It was like the Wu-Tang Clan under the Queensboro Bridge. And, wow. You know, yeah, and um, it was signed by all of them, you know. And I remember, uh, you know, they, they show up at midnight. And like I said, nobody knew who they were. Right. You know? And we're talking about predominantly white neighborhood. <laughs> And all of a sudden, coming down the stairs are like eight or eight to ten black guys. And everyone's like, what the hell is going hell? on here? You know? <laughs> uh, and a long story short, it was Wu-Tang Clan, but nobody knew who they were. So they were like, give them the business at the door. Like, you know, what are you guys doing here? You know, right. like, let's see some IDs and, you know, <laughs> and weed smoke. And, you know, and I just remember like ODB. I totally remember this. I was like, I had no idea who he was at the time. Right. But I just remember being at the door and like, you know, like, one of the bouncers would give him a hard time about how he's dressed and whatnot. And he's just like, yo, get this crazy white boy off of me. You know? <laughs> and um, yeah, you know, obviously we all know what happened with Wu-Tang. I mean, yeah. like, we, nobody knew who they were that night, obviously, but about two, three weeks later, Protect Your Neck came out and they oh, blew shit. the fuck up, man. Blew yeah. the fuck up. And that's my, uh, that's my close encounter. <laughs> story that's awesome. Me. And now everybody was there that night, right? In the stories. Oh, I was yeah. there that night when they played. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, like a dum-dum, I was really careless with the uh, signed Picture. promo pick that I got from ah. them. So, yeah, still to this day, I think about it. Could have sold about on eBay for 100 grand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
Well, they are playing the uh, Ohio State Fair this summer to show you how things come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Wu-Tang! Rizzo and the crew. All right. Uh, so we kind of get through your DJing period here. What, when did you enter the strip club industry? How did that happen? Oh, man. So, uh, well, when I went to college, you know, um, I remember Dukies, having Blue Devils. Duke, that's right. Uh, ACC champs, by the way. Just yes. Like. Yes. As usual, most of the time. <laughs> um, you know, I DJed all throughout college too, right? I, okay. I figured out when I first got to college, I was like, I really don't have time for a work study job. And, uh, you know, I, I remember freshman year, uh, we had a dorm, uh, you know, social coming up and they were trying to figure out entertainment for them. And I was like, I'll DJ if you want, you know? Um, and I remember uh, just, you know, going out and renting a mixer and, um, you know, college student at the time and didn't have a lot of money. So I remember borrowing two tape decks from some hall roommates, you know, nice. some hall in my dorm and DJing the thing with cassette tapes. Cassettes, damn! How funny as that sounds, right? So going back to my whole thing about recording songs off the radio. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was my first gig ever. I didn't have a lot of money to put into it and uh, didn't really have all my music down there. So I used cassette tapes. And it was just funny because towards the end of songs, the radio call would come, this is Z100. And I'd be like, buzz, mix over. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, that was my first gig ever, you know. But That's cool. In college. How was Duke for you, man? I mean, that's, uh, I would imagine, a uh, well-off, white-based crew in, in the Carolinas. North Carolina. Oh, yeah. uh, you're an Asian guy from New York. How did how did that transit? How did that feel coming from New York City to go down to Chapel Hill? Right, uh, Durham, North Carolina. Durham, yeah. sorry, Chapel Hill's the enemy. <laughs> exactly, sorry. very close by though. So, um, man, it was different. Man, it was definitely culture shock. You know, you grow up in New York, and I, I really didn't leave New York. You know, mm-hmm. from the time I moved there, so didn't really know much about anything that was outside of New York. To be quite honest with you, um, and I just remember. Uh, I always remember this. I was my freshman year. I think it was like the first or second week we were there. And a bunch of uh, my, my roommates and a bunch of dorm mates were like, let's go over to the West Campus and see what, what the frat parties are about. Mm-hmm. So I remember uh, getting on a bus, the uh, campus bus, and headed over to the West Campus. And at the time, uh, the Roots were playing a, a concert. Nice. On, 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 you know, on the campus that night. Yeah. And I just remember walking by a bunch of white frat boys and they were like you guys freshmen and we're like yeah they're like all right just be careful a lot of monkeys around here tonight and my jaw dropped to the floor dark right like you don't really it's a melting pot right all different nationalities races right you know religious religions out there and you know i was like did you really just fucking say that wow so yeah definitely a little bit of culture shock but uh my college friends and i we were like like a Benetton commercial, really. So, <laughs> two Indian guys, an Italian guy, and you know, so we're just kind of like, wow, we're we're definitely uh, in, in a different place now. You know? Welcome to the South, right? Right, pretty much, man. That's pretty crazy. So you graduate from college, graduate from Duke, get your degree in economics, and uh, you ended up going what, moving out to Vegas or California? Yeah, well, uh, when I graduated college, um, I was working on a startup company. Uh, I really thought that was what I was going to do, right? Mm-hmm. So graduate of college again, right off the jump, had a job at this uh, company and, and trying to make that work. Um, it didn't pan out. And my one of my best friends from from Duke was already living out in Las Vegas. So he's like, hey, if you got no plans, come out here and, you know, just move out here with me, man. You know, just Hell hang yeah. up a little bit. It's Las Vegas. It'll be fun. And uh, he did that on the promise of getting me a job 
an interview at uh, one of the casinos out there. And I okay. was like, hey, well, yeah, that sounds interesting. Let me try and see if I can do that, you know? So uh moved out to Vegas, interviewed with this company, and what they offered me didn't what didn't sound appealing at the time, you know? So in my head, I'm like, well, you know what? I'll just DJ for a little bit, and then I can figure out what I want to do. And uh, my buddy, my roommate, was like, you know, there's this club. It's a strip club. And, you know, I know you don't do strip clubs, but, you know, I heard they make pretty decent money over there. So long story short, I went in there, auditioned for a day shift position and got it. And uh, that club turned out to be the Spearmint Rhino in Las Vegas. And and that's, yeah, that's where I started. <laughs> it, it's crazy we didn't cross paths because I was at Club Paradise in 99 and 2000. And that's we actually, me and uh, my buddy, Woody Hollywood went to the grand opening party at Spearmint Rhino because it was before it was that mega, it was in that strip mall, but it hadn't taken over the whole thing yet. Oh, it was, yeah. It was really small. And then, uh, like, we were there with, oh God, uh, Penn and Teller or whichever, the, whoever the tall one was. We were kind of standing next to him. Yeah. I think Penn's the big guy, right? He got mad because I, because I, I told him that. I go, Are you Penn or Teller? He's like, What the fuck? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, dude. I just know the name. <laughs> I know you're one of them. <laughs> but, uh, and some porn stars. <laughs> at the yeah, time that sounds about right yeah yeah yeah. but it, uh, yeah so yeah none of the mega clubs had opened up yet so sapphires wasn't there like club paradise was the top club and then kind of the new club and we were crossing the hard rock there was no palms yet like you know what i mean so like the vegas of of now that people say was just sort of starting with the mega clubs and the you know what i mean yeah without a doubt i remember very distinctly uh about las vegas at the time yeah, you're right. Club Paradise was the top of the food chain. I would say Crazy Horse was up there as well. Mm -hmm. Crazy Horse too. I remember going to Club Paradise too, <laughs> and I was like, "Man, these guys are fancy here." Because I, you know, you guys had the whole gown thing going. You would right. have you'd have these like feature acts, you know, on the weekends and whatnot. And I just remember thinking, "Wow, this is this is pretty high level stuff." You know, we had our own showgirls. We didn't do features. It was our in house. They yeah, were exactly. like, actually yeah. Vegas showgirls, right? Who, yeah, I remember yeah, that? Yeah, 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 yeah that was cool. It was dope. I knew a lot of girls that that uh, were part of those shows. You know, okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was smart enough. The Rhino, the Rhino at the time wasn't much. What people right. have to remember about Vegas at this time is oh, there were no clubs, right? There were maybe two nightclubs in the entire right. city. There Body English, yeah, and no, the, no, it wasn't even that, open yet. That, yeah, two thousand. That it was like, no, yeah, yeah. it was like uh, Club Utopia, and, yeah, uh, at, yeah, at Luxor, you know, and the and Beach so, Club, <laughs> and the Beach Club. Right, right, exactly, you know? So it's like if you wanted to do something outside of gambling at casinos at night, strip clubs was Las Vegas nightlife, right? right. You go to the strip clubs, and then uh, the strip clubs ruled the day back then. But uh, that being said, the Rhino wasn't really anything uh like it is today right it was just getting started out you know um and i remember getting there like you know at the time having like 50 60 girls was really good mm -hmm. uh, within a year of me getting there i mean we started doubling that number and then yeah, we wow. started doing the uh after hours and that's that's really what put us on the map you know right so we went from like having 60 70 girls on the weekends to like 140 like almost overnight yeah started that thing and then you know from that point on you know all the girls started migrating from the other clubs and we, we took quite a few girls from club paradise yeah, and yeah i know a lot of our girls and eventually speedas and you know um and, and just started that momentum going you know um yeah pretty soon we were running like 200 to 300 girls on the weekend yeah it was a monster you yeah, guys were a monster sure. for sure I... man but i'll start with that after hours man okay you know that's definitely what, what made us different. I remember uh, there would be a line out the door at like nine in the morning, like blazing desert sun out, but a line wrapped around the building at nine in the morning, you know, people trying to right. get in. 
I remember getting in and luckily we knew a few people. So we would get in, we'd go in after work at late, like you said, late. Did you know Alan Chang and those guys when, when they were there? Uh, I, that doesn't sound familiar, but okay. Cause he ended up now he created the, the, the peppermint hippo. So he was a bouncer okay. in Vegas or a okay. VIP host there. And he, anyways, okay. just out of curiosity, I thought, you know, um, did you have any interesting experiences? I know as a half Chinese guy, I don't look Chinese. So I always felt like I can kind of peek behind the curtain of things. Cause I look very white. Right. Sure. And I know I've run into no, no, like outright direct racism towards me, but people would definitely drop. I remember I had one manager at a club I worked at and he was saying, chink this chink that. And I'm kind of like, Hey, watch what you say. And he's like, well, what the fuck you care? I'm like, because I'm Chinese. He's like, ha, 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 very funny. I go, my last name is Fong. I'm being very fucking serious right now. Say it again. <laughs> you know um, what I mean? Yeah, and, you know, luckily, I didn't really encounter a lot of that, you know. Um, I Well, rewind a little bit. When I remember I get into college and, you know, we're in North Carolina for crying out loud, and all my friends were like, oh, my God, there's this Asian guy, and he's got the thickest New York accent. My accent was super thick back then, right? Used to talk like this. No know? way. You know, love chocolate, hang out with your daughter. You know? <laughs> I, I just, I just grew up in Queens. Just, you know, had this super strong accent. And uh, fucking no, get out of here! Forget exactly. about it. It was made fun of mercilessly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, moving to Vegas, it was uh, no nah, man. I didn't really get encounter a lot of that, to be honest with you. You know, luckily, but um, you know, definitely a culture shock again, right? Yeah. Going from like an Ivy League prep heaven to like. <laughs> Riverland Vegas. Like, you know? No shit. That's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it, it was just like it, it was just party on at that point, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the things we like to do is kind of uh for our non-strip club audience and listeners, we like to explain some differences or some things about the industry. So if you would, could you kind of maybe clarify the difference between normal club DJing and strip club DJing? What are some of the big differences that you have Oof. to navigate? Yeah, you know, uh so normal nightclub DJing, uh your responsibility is to keep people dancing, right? And mm-hmm. you have to keep that energy up on the floor. Um, and a lot of ways, you know, it's all about building energy, whether you're talking about strip club DJing or nightclub DJing. But I think with strip club DJing, there's a much bigger aspect of organizing to it than there is with nightclub DJing. You know, uh, nightclub DJing, you're primarily worried about music and making the right selections to keep that floor going, to keep people dancing so they buy drinks. And, you mm-hmm. know, that's pretty much it. You know, with strip club DJing, it's uh, like there's a whole element of organizing, you know, and that's organizing your rotation. And um, it's almost like, you know, if if nightclub DJing was juggling with three balls, right? Mm-hmm. Uh Strip club DJing is like juggling with five, right? With chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Right, right, right. It's a little different, you know. Uh, not much emphasis on like transitions and stuff like that with strip club DJing, but much more, uh, like I said, organizing your, your your rotation list, you know, and adjusting on the fly as needed so that you could keep up the energy but uh, still have an organized show. So you, yeah, for for sure, running the stage rotation is what he means when he says rotation. And how did did you have any problems uh, adding the emceeing part? Were you pretty comfortable with talking on the mic because you don't have to do that as much as as a club DJ, right? Oh man, that was definitely different for me because come coming into Las Vegas, I, I didn't have much experience emceeing, you know. Um, and I remember I audition. I mean, I remember I just down two shots really quick in the bar and <laughs> jumped into it, you know, and uh, and nailed it. But yeah, it was definitely an adjustment starting off, right? So nobody really. I mean, this is like we're talking about two thousand here that I started, you know. 
uh, and nobody really trains you, right? They just kind of right. throw you in the wolves. They're like, you got your own music? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, well, there you go. You know, just just figure it out. <laughs> and um, I'll be honest with you, I kind of preferred it that way, right? Yeah. Like, you either sink or swim, right? So, yeah. Um, you know, you, you just throw thrown right into it. But it definitely took me a while to find my voice because I remember the guy that I worked under at the time had the stripical, like, pukey voice. The stripical puke voice. Yeah, yeah. Voice. So, the, Tell the people local. what puke voice is for the non-strip. Hey, fellas, welcome out to the Spirit Rhino. This is a, her. This is Chastity with her first song. <laughs> just some really like you know, just some real just showmanship behind it, you know. And I get it, <laughs> but I remember voice. trying to mimic him at the time, and I'm like, I sound so stupid, like trying to take this voice on, you know. And um, it definitely took a year or so before I found what what worked for me. Just put it that way. <laughs> I would love to be the guy who hears your voice doing the puke voice on the mic. You know, he's at the club and he hears, hey, Chastity. And then he goes up to meet the DJ and there's this little short Asian guy <laughs> who sounds like he's like, you know, Wolfman Jack. <laughs> oh, man, I, get, I got that a lot, you know. But I think I still had a twinge of my New York accent. So they're even more shocked to figure yeah. out <laughs> short Asian guy, you know. Um, yeah. so, talking yeah. like this. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, also about one of the things I've noticed different, and you're you're. I only learned club DJing late in my career, but I know one of the things I really had to learn as I learned to, I say, really DJ is you have to know the songs inside and out, like verse, chorus, all the breakdown parts, because you got to figure out when you're going to mix in, and okay. you know where you're going to beat match, are you just going to drop it in, are you going to echo out, or you can. These are all DJ terms and mixing okay. techniques, but uh, where the strip club DJ, and and the other thing is with club DJing, you only play songs short snippets essentially whereas we're stuck in a strip club you play the full three or you play three minute songs roughly um so talk a little bit about that difference of it well i'll tell you what i mean uh back then i, I don't think there was you know back then there wasn't an in like, all right just put it this way i would say i would probably have noticed in the last 10 to 15 years or so where people's attention spans have completely been reduced to like you know what you know if a song ran for like three minutes it would help hold your interest for the most part but in the last 10 15 years if you're djing a nightclub and a dance floor you play a song longer than a minute and a half two at max people you're, you're losing their attention right off the jump. You know, they, they kind of want that hit every every you know that hit of dopamine every minute and a half yeah. or so right so there's this crazy transaction uh crazy transition sorry Mm -hmm. uh, involved with it you know at a strip club it's a little different luckily you know your music isn't the main show the the girl is right the girls are right so in a way uh people don't notice as much that you're playing a full three minute song so i guess that would be the biggest difference i could see right Absolutely. with nightclub djing you know like these days especially if you're playing mixed format you kind of have to slam it right right and like i said earlier you know when you're djing a nightclub you, your primary focus is to keep that dance floor going so um yeah very very different for sure you know with with club dj i almost feel like it you know with, given the parameters it's a little difficult sometimes you know uh, one of the biggest complaints i see these days amongst djs in our industry is you know how short the songs are now mm -hmm. But uh, it all has to do with the new technology, right? So yeah. in order to get better streams or more streams, uh, artists are almost encouraged in a way to have shorter songs, like two yeah, minutes sure. songs that are, uh, you know, that people want to play over and over again. So, um, yeah, definitely an adjustment, man, without a doubt. And it's going to get worse. I don't know if you saw this, but Spotify has a new buy-in system for the labels and whatnot. So it's kind of Spotify is becoming pay to play essentially. So we'll see. And even some congressmen, I just re read something about this. I don't know enough to really go into it, 
but uh, essentially Spotify is having a new component where you can pay 25% higher fees as a record label to get your, the algorithms to favor your music <laughs> to get seen more. So but, uh, con- Congress right. already is like, uh, hold on. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, right. We're going to have more in a second. We'll have more with, Charlie Foreplay, a.k.a. Charlie Lee, right after this. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, we are back with Charlie Lee, a.k.a. Charlie Foreplay on Behind the Curtain a What's Hot into Strip Clubs podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. You can find us on all major streaming platforms or go to our website, www.whatshotitsc.com. Back here with Charlie Lee, the resident DJ at Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Phenomenal DJ. He can DJ all styles, hip-hop, EDM, house music, open format. Great guy. Uh, I'm super excited to have him on the show. We've been talking about DJing and uh, the strip club community and how he came up through the industry uh, so we're going to go a little bit deeper with Charlie now. Um, what would be your dream set list? So like if you didn't have to be a club DJ, you were an artist and people were paying to see Charlie, just you, Charlie Foreplay, what would be your dream set list to play? Oh, man, uh, that's easy. I, I love house music, man. I, I grew up on house music. That's always been my thing. Um, been really, really lucky to have met a lot of the DJs along the way that kind of uh, fostered that 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 passion for the song you know music that that uh genre um 
been some been good friends with some really good DJs, man. Some really amazing, talented DJs. You know, uh, one of my buddies who I met in Las Vegas, uh, Jameson. Shout out to my boy Jameson. Uh, he uh, moved to the UK to run the uh, Spearman Rhinos in the UK, and um, he's been a big influence on my life. Uh, just the exposure to music from him, you know. I remember in the uh, early 2010s, you know, at the time EDM was coming into its own, right, and to me, EDM is really, really different from house music. Right? Yeah. EDM is really, uh, you know, the time the, the the type of EDM at that time that was becoming popular. It was being fused with hip hop, you know. So that was the mm -hmm. time when David Guetta was doing mixes with Usher and Nicki Minaj, and everybody was kind of jumping on that train, you know. And mm -hmm. I just remember being feeling so disillusioned with it, right? I mean, like it popped, right? You knew sure. it was popular clothes, but it's just not the house music that I grew up. Right. I grew up on like Danny Teneglia and, and you know, uh, Junior Sanchez, you know, just some of the darker New York house stuff, you know, and uh, was, was always about that kind of house. And I felt like that EDM was kind of bastardizing that for me, you know. Um, so I just remember uh, reconnecting with my buddy Jameson at the time, who I hadn't seen in a minute. I remember he uh, he's like, man, I'm going to Miami for Ultra. You know, you should come meet, meet up with me. I was like, all right, cool. And we get to Miami and I'm like, so we're going to Ultra? He's like, fuck no. <laughs> like, I'm going I'm to take you to see some of the underground artists, you know. Oh, like, very cool. That I started following from, from, you know, from my time in the UK. And uh, I mean, that was just a, an epiphany for me just to hear some of the newer stuff. You know, at the time they, they labeled it Deep House. Yeah. In my head, though, I'm like, this is just the house music that I grew up with, you know. Right. It's a little darker. It's, you know, it's deeper and it's got a little bit more feel than uh, mm -hmm. than bubblegum stuff you know so uh i love house music man you know and uh coincidentally at my club pretty soon in the next two months or so we're gonna run a new promotion we're gonna do an all house music night and it's awesome gonna be house call mondays and um awesome. yeah so i get to play like a three-hour set of just shit out hell of yeah i'm excited for you man Same. who are some of those guys you're talking about who are your influences like uh dj's DJs well at the time, man. Um, when I took that trip to Miami with Jameis, and that was the start of many trips, actually. So okay. the last decade, you know, we've gone to Ibiza. I've oh, heard him, uh, yeah, Jameson is actually a resident DJ at Ministry of Sound in the UK. Oh my God, really? Yeah, which is like house mecca, right? Bucket list. That's bucket list. That and Ibiza are on my bucket list. So yeah, no, it's sick, man. But but uh we started going to yeah, we started going to these festivals. I mean, we just get together. And we just go to cool ass festivals and concerts, man. I remember going to the defected uh, uh, festival in Croatia a couple wow. of years ago, you know, and just hearing some just amazing DJs. I mean, I love Solomon and Tale of Us. I mean, there's just too many groups to really um, name, but man, I love Progressive House. I love Tech House. I love all that stuff, man. You turned me on. So I, I got to keep reminding me myself to follow up with you because I did ask you for some underground stuff and you sent me like Greco and uh, I forget who else now, but I the stuff I ended up playing in my club that uh, some of my girls really dug. That's dope. Uh, you're always on top of the underground stuff before I am. So I got to remember to keep <laughs> harassing you for, for tips on that stuff. <laughs> uh, would you ever want to be a touring artist? Have, have you been a, have you produced your own stuff? I know you've done mix shows and stuff, but no, mix, I you know, I really haven't dabbled in the production side uh, that much. Um, I mean, I make simple remixes, but nothing, nothing crazy. Not like on a level of like a Mike D or anything like that, you know. Okay. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, touring, I don't know, man. Uh, 
it's it's kind of ironic, you know, I figured out through the years that I'm really more of an introvert than anything. You know? <laughs> so, um, and, you know, it's funny, you know, coincidentally, we're talking about this new uh, promotion that we got coming up, you know, uh, my booth mate is like, man, we're going to move the DJ booth out to the uh, one of the stages, you know, so it actually looks like a real DJ concert, you know, Shit. And I'm sitting here going, oh, man, oh, you know, the spotlight, <laughs> like, oh, man, Charlie. Well, so old school, right? Like, you know, like, if you think about it, right, back in the day, if you wanted to go hear a DJ spin somewhere, right, you'd be like, okay, he's playing at this nightclub. Well, Let's go over there and dance our asses off, right? Right. And you didn't give a shit what the DJ was doing, right? Like, he was in a dark corner somewhere. You didn't even see him, right? You just enjoy the music and, you you know, enjoy the energy on the floor and you did your thing. And nowadays, like I said, in probably the last 10, 15 years, all of a sudden the DJ is now, it's a concert now. A star, yeah. Yeah, and he's actually under the spotlights on the stage. And it's so like, weird. it's super weird. Because, like, if you ask most DJs, right, I would say like a tiny fraction of them really do some crazy crazy phenomenal stuff with with mixing right yeah like, james hype james you know yeah he's an anomaly though. yeah he's, yeah of course he's an anomaly, you know most of us are just fucking transitioning from one plus you know one track to another and you know maybe throwing an effect or two you know to make it sound smooth or a little more polished up but you know we're not doing anything special man we're, we're playing records yeah and i was joking around with my buddy i was like man i gotta start practicing my fist pumping right now <laughs> exactly man it's jesus just, christ pose Oh man, you got to strike that pose at some point and you know, all that stuff. And it's just, it's just funny to me, man. You know, I'm definitely going to be out of my element with that. That's for sure, man. (laughs) It's weird when you go to a show to see a DJ, because it is a show now, like you said, and like, I come from rock. I was a rock singer. I fronted a band, right. And you know, you're shaking your ass and jumping around. And, you know, I came from the David Lee Roth school of show. So doing kicks and splits and all that stuff. And, but a DJ can't do that because you're tied to the board. You got, you know, you can't run around. You're not a singer. So you, it's hard, you know, you, it's hard to even interact with the crowd. It's so weird to me. I've got, obviously I've gone to some shows at clubs and sure. you're right, man. I, and I miss the dance floor. People are barely dance anymore. Right. No, so weird. no doubt. So weird. Somewhere along the line, they figured out, you know, I remember uh, back in the day, dance floor used to be this big, right. And, uh, you know, the bar would be on the side in case you got right. there. And then somewhere through the years, somebody figured out, Hey, I could sell a thirty dollar bottle of booze for like four hundred, and all of a sudden the shirt shrink. <laughs> Bottles are big, and you know yep. everything was seating now. You know, yep. Now they so, dance in their booths. Yeah, exactly, and that was that was a definitely a big change and transition in the way nightclubs, you know, came up. But that also con- coincided with the popularity of nightclubs. You know, these mega yeah. clubs that, that came to be. Right, uh, once Vegas realized how lucrative it could be, that's when it all took off. You know, the last I heard. So, Hakkasan was like 15 grand a table now. Something that sounds like. about right. Coming, I mean, out of COVID, the, coming out of COVID. Even the most ridiculous things like bottle presentations, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. A menu for that. Just for that alone. You yeah. could have a theme bottle presentation. You yeah. could have a Superman theme one. You could have a Pokemon theme one that you can buy. Yeah, nuts. Even so, at the yeah. strip clubs. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, so real quick on the, the artist tip, who would be your dream artist to open for or tour with or spin with, play with? Ooh. You could DJ with anybody. Man. Right now, at this moment, obviously, I think the my two favorite acts right now have got to be John Summit or Vintage Culture. All um, right. I like those guys. Right now. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I really dig a lot of the stuff they've been putting out the last couple of years. Good but, call. Uh, good pick. So what's next for Charlie? What's next for Charlie Foreplay, for, in fact? So what's next for Charlie Lee, the strip club DJ? And then are there any plans for Charlie Foreplay, your club DJ persona? 
I'll tell you what, man, I'm lucky enough to have worked at a, uh, to work at a club that kind of, uh, fosters both of those passions, to be honest with you, you know, That's awesome. I've been at the downtown cabaret for, uh, it'll be 12 years this coming October. And that's the longest I've ever been at any gig. And this is without a doubt, the best job I've had in this industry by far. Um, I work with some of my best friends. That's awesome. Uh, my work family is literally my family, you know, uh, it's my support system. It's just, I work with some really amazing people in my club and wow. uh, yeah, so definitely a lot of outlets to uh, let that creativity flow. This house call party, you know, it, it was my idea. I was like, I really want to do this and everybody just got behind it. And now, oh, yeah. now it's be something that we're planning towards um, probably going to roll out in the next few months here. So um, do you have a date yet for it? Not yet. Uh, coincidentally, our club is about to get a whole new light system put in. Um, so we're talking about, yeah, we've been operating the last six, seven years under the original light setup that had been put in a few years back. And uh, now we're going to go the whole thing replaced. So awesome. we're trying to make the new promotion coincide with uh, the rolling out of this. So, yeah, pretty excited about that, man. Well, let me know when you have a date. I will come up for that without a doubt, man. Do you see you and hear you spin house? I'm, for I'm sure. all about it. Oh, that'd I'm be dope, dope, man. That'd be really dope. Yeah, it's dope. one Monday a month. Um, you see, it's either going to be the first Monday of every month or the last Monday. We haven't figured it out yet. But, all right. Yeah, it's right. something we're really excited for. Give a shout out to your booth mates. Who are your DJs up there with you? Man, I work with the best, like the best. I've ha I'm lucky enough to have had a crew that's been together almost 10 years now. Wow. Lots of consistency. Um, man, it's just the best guys, man. Uh I can't, I can never have this conversation without mentioning Owen, Owen Contreras. Love yeah, that kid. Uh, this kid's a prodigy. I mean, you're talking about one of the most unique people I've ever met in my life, much less DJ, right? Okay. But as a DJ, this kid's phenomenal. I mean, he, he knows everything about every type of software, lighting or audio uh, related. Um, just a super smart kid, man. Super creative. And this kid's a legend too. Like he's been throwing Fiend parties and crazy parties since he was in high school. I hear all these stories about him in Minneapolis, you know. Wow. Uh, I remember hearing a story about him recreating that scene from Blade when he walks into the nightclub. Yes. One of his house parties, you know. And I guess this kid threw a party with complete with like red paint and like fake blood awesome. and all this stuff. And yeah, That's no, Owen's, Owen's the shit, man. And then my buddy uh, Mike, who we affectionately call Rappy, he's our day guy. <laughs> super cool kid man just the most reliable nicest down-to-earth dude ever i just have i'm just really lucky to have a good crew man really what's mike's nice. last name it, well, yeah it's mike mike k but you know we all call him rappy and the reason we call him rappy is because he can actually rap I mean, ah. you, know, you can like point at your phone and make you know say mike make a rap about this and he would just freestyle <laughs> out. so yeah that's, that's awesome guy. Yep. Shout out to the downtown cabaret DJ crew, man. They sound like awesome guys. I know Owen a little bit from the Panda group, but I haven't really interacted right. with them. I'm going to have to reach out to him. Are you ready to have some fun, Charlie? Uh oh, you ready? Let's go. All right, man. It's time for the questions as made famous by Bernard Pivot and James Lipton on inside the actor studio. Charlie Lee, you are on the hot seat. Here we go. 10 questions. What is your favorite word? Ooh, I don't know. Being from New York, I probably say dope. Nope. All right. Thousand times a day. So yeah, that would be it. <laughs> what is your least favorite word? Ooh. Ooh, I don't know. It's a tough one, man. Tough one. I can't think of anything off the bat. Something that comes to mind. First one pops in your head. Uh, 
bitch. I don't know. Bitch. <laughs> All right. That'll work. <laughs> Charlie Lee, what turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Hearing an amazing DJ at a club in a setting that uh, most people wouldn't get to see at. Ooh. So, uh, yeah. You just made me jealous. <laughs> Charlie Lee, what turns you off? Oh, man. Arrogant people. Name droppers. Those are the worst. Those are the absolute, <laughs> worst. The absolute worst. All right. Here's uh, everyone's favorite question. What is your favorite curse word? Oh, fuck. By, by a million miles. <laughs> <laughs> so far, I think that's been the only answer I've gotten since I've done this. <laughs> uh, what sound or noise do you love? Sub bass, <laughs> subwoofer bass, but that vibrate, baby. No. What sound or noise do you hate? Oh man, um, people complaining. <laughs> I guess I don't know. Hell yeah. No. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Man, I've always thought that you know, if I was a uh, computer programmer, that would never run out of work, especially in this day and age. So <laughs> a, co a coder. Okay, a coder. What profession would you not like to do under any circumstance? I would be a banker, which is what the original plan was. <laughs> but, uh, Oops. Yeah. All right. Charlie, here's the modified one, the big one. If heaven exists, what musician or musicians would you most like to jam with in heaven? Oof. Um, man, man, oh, man. You know, you, could, you just get this flood of like a long list in your head and you can't think of a single one. Um, man, I don't know. I'd have to say Prince. There you go. He just had such a, you know, wide array of tastes and like ranges, you know, like amazing guitarist, amazing pop singer. I mean, uh, there wasn't anything that guy couldn't do. So, Absolutely. Charlie Lee, you are off the hot seat. Uh, thank you for joining me. It's been a blast. Uh, any social medias or websites you want to uh, shout out or to the people? To uh, no. uh, you can follow me on SoundCloud, Charlie Foreplay, uh, slash Charlie Foreplay, uh, or follow me on Mixcloud, slash Charlie Foreplay. And go see him at Downtown Cabaret in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a beautiful club, I got to tell you, and they treat everyone world class there. I've been there, and it's, it's a great club for sure. Thanks for being on the show, man. It's been fun. Absolute pleasure, man. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to What's Hot in the Strip Clubs with Danny Myers and Alon Fong, presented by Panda and Strip Joints Music. You can find us on all major podcast platforms. Thanks for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.